0: He better learn how to do his pre-season training again because his pre-season training this year was shit.
1: Widely acknowledged that 2020 has been a pretty shit year for most people due to COVID, and here in Victoria and New South Wales, bushfires early in the year. However, in terms of a cycling season, we have been treated to a gold-plated racing extravaganza that had us salivating at every turn. 2020 was also the inaugural year for this podcast. And the man that has joined me to bring a half-wheeling view of how we see cycling is Scott Barrow. Scotty, welcome to Episode 9.
0: Shit. Yeah, thanks, mate. Really happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this today because while you've been on fire the last couple of days, I've had a bit of a flat spot today. So I've had about 50 coffees. I'm like a bloke in the last couple of stages of the Vulta. It's been a long season. I'm scratching around for gels at the 250k mark going, oh, this is fucked. So now there's just a little bit of a tailwind, and I'm happy to be here.
1: Oh, that's good to hear that you have something to just get you home. You've probably mooched a gel or maybe a drink (laughs) off one of your teammates, and now you're just ready to go.
0: And I'm sitting on a big-ass Belgie grinder, and he's just pulling me in, pulling me into the finish line.
1: Yes. Hey, Scotty, I didn't think this cycling season was ever going to end. You know when something's so good and you think, this is going to last forever, and it didn't. We knew it was going to end at some stage, but, gee, we were treated to some magnificent racing, weren't we?
0: i haven't it's not been better for me unbelievable um my yeah so the racing was brilliant um so if you if you viewed uh us as grand tour riders uh, for me i've had a really good you know in terms of watching the season as a spectator yeah i've had a really good two weeks and two days yeah but yeah the last five or six days i've just been i've just been founding a bit wanting not 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 able to pay attention yeah, you know just yeah. not quite Three quarters of football it's been for me. Yeah, that's an interesting analogy. So I feel analogy. a bit guilty about that because yeah. it's been brilliant.
1: Yeah, no, I like your analogy. If my cycling watching was a rider, I'd be Tony Martin. Like I'd be just sitting at the front with my mouth open and then in the last few days with no, uh, there's been drool coming out of my mouth and it's just sort of I'm neither here nor there. So – like I don't know, uh, maybe someone would just poke me to see if I'm alive, and I'd just sort of keel over like weekend at Bernie style.
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. But they sort of they think you're dead, but because you're Tony Martin, you're still paddling hard. But they don't they don't know if there's any life in you. They just don't know if it's perpetual motion because that's what you've always done. Yeah. But yeah, the drool's still coming out of the mouth. Like is, is he alive? I know he's riding and riding on the front, but is that fucker alive? Yeah, that's what we yeah. need to know.
1: He's moving, but be like I was made of stone. And they think, well, fuck, his legs are turning. But I don't think he's actually responding to any human contact. So, <laughs> uh, but the best thing about it, Scotty, is that we get to recap it somewhat in somewhat. This, this episode nine of the podcast. Mm. I just wanted to just touch on some of perhaps the best performers for this season. I know it was a little bit broken and it was a lot condensed. There was some unbelievable racing For the duration But I just wanted to kick it off With who I considered the best rider For season 2020 mm. And it's a guy who Look, let's be honest There was some serious man love Happening for this guy And it could have been a lot of guys There were some um, some really well-performed riders There was Ella Faleed There was Primoz geez, I mean, he was a beast dick From winning two Grand Tours For the whole year But I'm mm. plumped for Wout Van Aert, Scotty mm. um, mm-hmm. I just want to read out Some of his results this year He won Strata Bianchi Milan San Remo He won the Belgian National Champs Time Trial He won Stage 5 And 7 at the Tour He was 2nd At Tour of Flanders 2nd at the World Champs Road Race And the TT And he was 3rd At Milano Torino And 3rd On Stage 11 And 18 Of the Tour de France I just think He won fans With his ability To just be there in the mix at the finish, mm. be it a bunch kick or a punches parkour. He did a power of work for Roglic in the Tour de France and climbed out of his skin in that race, really. He was always yep. a marked man in the races, especially the Worlds, but he had a great year and he's just brilliant to watch. He also, as as I mentioned earlier, he's has a distinction of also being a dead-set pin-up boy for half wheeling.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the thing, yeah, the icing on the cake for me, you know, yeah, he won and did all those things. But he, um, yeah, remember he pulled on that stage in the Tour de France. He pulled for the first nine Ks of the climb on that, um, that beast of a climb. I can't remember what it was called. We, we spoke about it here. Yeah. But, Ross, this is coming off a broken leg in the Tour de France last year. It was too, yeah. So, like, geez, there's a guy who's psychologically talented, not only physically and all that, but, mate, that guy's mental ability. Incredible. Yeah.
1: He just brought an aura with him. Scotty, I think that was the thing mm. that really stood out. I mean, when I'm trying to separate riders, that aura and just a, a almost a mystique around it. You had to watch him um, if you were racing against him, and you had to watch him if you were watching watching the actual race that he was in. It was it was just brilliant. I thought. Was there anyone else that you thought, mate?
0: Yeah. So you mentioned Wow, of course. Yeah, he's. Right of the year from, you know, in terms of all around. Roglic was incredible. Like you say, bees dick away from Tour Tours. He won before the Tour de France. He was winning those races. He won everything. He went in last year pretty much. For him then to go deep into the the Vuelta and win that and win four stages there after the big, it would have been a big disappointment, the Tour de France, you know, had one one bad day. And by the way, it wasn't even really a bad day that he had in that last time trial of the Tour de France. He still came in fourth, I think. So it wasn't as though it was that bad. Obviously, the, the little kid will get to um, He had an incredible day. So Roglic was amazing. Alaphilippe, yeah, very good as well. And then, yeah, of course, um, you can't forget Tadej Pogaccia. You can't forget that because for him to do that youngest winner with the way he did it in prime time, the biggest race of the year. That's pretty incredible. I don't care if he wins that and only that. That's an amazing effort. (laughs) That's a fair call.
1: You've got to admire Roglic. That takes massive balls to front up for the Vuelta and win it and win four stages, Mm. mind you. Yeah. Huge, huge effort. So Mm. he can consider himself stiff not to get that award, but we can only have one winner um, and we make the rules. So um, bad luck, Primoz. Yeah. Scotty, my best yeah. team for the year. Now, this was interesting because when I initially looked at, you know, if we're looking at bare wins, um, looking at the data, the Koenig mm. Quick Step had 39 wins, which is a huge effort. They were a real force to be reckoned with in the peloton. They had strength in numbers. They were such an imposing unit. They won sprints, they won breakaways, um, they had the world champion this year. Huge effort. But I can't go past Jumbo Visma. Mm. 23 wins, Strata Bianchi, Milan San Remo, Tour de Lane, three stages of the Dauphiné, three Tour de France stages, Liège, Baston Liège. They won the GC at La Volta, including four stage wins. They had 18 seconds and five thirds but it was just the way they did it. Um, Mm. They dictated terms at every opportunity and with a team that controlled things in all the major races, really. And you could sense that other teams were looking to them as the big dogs and, well, if something's going to be done, well, Jumbo Visma will do it. And as we mentioned before, if it wasn't for one day at the Tour de France, they would have had one of the most unbelievable seasons ever. I've Mm. got nothing but admiration for it, just the way they commanded the respect and the way they went about it. I think they were huge.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. They've got a you know a lot of good riders, you know, a lot of really good riders. But the the way they're teaming is very good as well. You can feel that though, just the way they go about it. There's no nonsense, and they seem to be pretty well organised and on the same page. And and Tom Dumoulin come there from that massive breakaway from racing that he'd had after he did his knee in that. And he came back and did some amazing things. And I heard George Bennett saying just the other day, there was like a five minute stage at the Volta and Tom pulled through the valley and on the start of this climb. And George said, if he hadn't have done that, he reckons that they wouldn't have won the Volta with Roglic. It was that he came down to that, that moment. Really? Yeah. And they're the things that we can't see and don't know. Yep. So my point is, there's another example of, you know, Dumoulin is there, you see him, but you know, he didn't dominate this season like he has other years, but still, you know, really solid performances, helping right. up, helping the team win. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. Um, I hate to have this sound like a, a bit of a jumbo Visma loving, but <laughs> my best domestique for the year was sep Kuss. Yeah. He only had the one major win, which was stage five at the Dauphiné, um, and finished 10th overall there. Mm. That was a pretty convincing win, but... He was the man that always looked super strong. He wasn't flustered. Uh, The last man standing on most of the mountain days for Jumbo Visma. You'd have to say there were times where he was more than capable of going up the road for his own ambitions but stayed close to Roglic. Got him out of the shit on occasions, most recently uh, in La Vuelta. Just points now to probably him uh, biding his time until he's capable to take a GC role at some point, whether that's with Jumbo Visma, who knows. But he gets my vote, Scotty, for the Domestique of the Year.
0: Mm. he gets five vote because he didn't open his mouth the whole racing season he breathed through his nose the whole time that's what gets me <laughs> that's okay, a huge oh, effort isn't just, it just just fucking mate amazing amazing he just you know sitting on the tops just spinning up sitting tall just floating up the hill yeah, yeah. so yeah yeah From on a physical level absolutely
1: I think it got to sort of late in the season um, until Jumbo Visma had a press release to say Sepp Kuss has breathed for the first time in a race, um, <laughs> which was such a, it was a bit of a landmark moment really, because we, similar to Tony Martin, we were wondering whether he was alive uh, when mm. he had to take the lead to uh, Primoz home on a mountain stage. So yeah, he's a talented kid.
0: Yeah. But it's interesting you say about, you know, there's always the talk, isn't there, like The first domestique for the for the GC guy, he's amazing. Is he going to go to his own team and be be the leader? Blah blah blah. But like you said, with Richie, not everyone's cut out for that. Not everyone's up for that. But also here in Australia, you know, going from say in Australian rules football, I'll use the analogy: if you're an assistant coach and then you want to be a senior coach, in actual fact, there probably couldn't be a worse role to prepare you to be a senior coach than being an assistant coach, (laughs) because the, the jobs are one job is where you're working on one part of the team and you're just coaching and then the other job is you are integrating with the rest of the club you're being a public face media speaking you are talking to the um the ceo on the board you're managing staff you're also tactics on, on game day. So the breadth of the role is far more significant. So going from best domestique to then standing in front of the cameras at Tour de France and delivering that and knowing that that takes two hours out of your day at the end of the stage to, before you're going to get back to the hotel where you can start eating, it's a total different ballgame. So accompli, uh, no, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying the easiest thing in the world is to look at him. And I'm not, and I'm not even saying that you said this, but the easiest thing in the world is going, oh, he's a, he's a good climber. He could be a GC guy. Well, we'll see. We will see yeah. because there's a lot more to it. And I don't condemn anyone who, who doesn't want to take that step or isn't able to.
1: Yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, he could be just a guy who's just a bloody good workhorse at front and is happy with that. Who knows? He might be just happy with that role. Um, yeah. I'll tell you yeah. what, he did it to great effect this year. Scotty, now this, yeah, this was impressive. a really tough category that I was going over. It involved relegating one of the races that we went into in great depth in episode eight. I just had to weigh it up and it was on a bit of a countback system in the end. And I've gone for the race of the season as oh, yeah. the Tour of Flanders.
0: Wow, right.
1: Now, I'll say right from the get-go that there's apologies here to the World Championship race. Was, mm-hmm. That was a great race, but Bruce Dupin, so close. I just wasn't much separating these two, but I'll plump for the fl- the Flanders probably more than anything due to the finish, and it just fulfilled what we wanted to see from the race where we had MVDP, Math- Mathieu van der Poel, um, winning from where Cool and a gold. Yeah, the cool and a gold, man. We had them <laughs> boxing it out after... Philippe. So with 36k to go, those two guys and Philippe went clear until Alaphilippe hit the back of a moto in dramatic fashion. Mm. Apparently, he's still writhing on the ground. there. they haven't picked him <laughs> up. It's been such a good show that they've left him there and um.
0: I think him, Ross. Yeah. I think for as part of his um therapy, he's having to embody and act out the scenes over and over until that sort of scarring and uh, trauma leaves him so he's sort of acting those out um, replaying it over and over and over to anyone who will watch
1: yeah, and with Europe undergoing a little bit of a, a second wave of COVID, disturbingly, the people of France have actually found a little bit of uh, entertainment in it, which is a bit distressing. But Julian's a world champion. You'll be able to get over that. But It'd the big right. dogs battled it out to the line, Scotty. As you mentioned, a goal took the chockies in a tight mm-hmm. finish. It was just so tense. And to have the finale play out, who were hoping, <laughs> was mm. just incredible. I couldn't go past it. Bruce DePan was brutal. That made it beautiful in a way. I just, I, I just
0: went. Did you, Ross? Um, did you um, in your shortlist? Was the Tour de France in your shortlist as a race, or do you were you just sort of focusing on one day races?
1: Well, I did consider the Tour, and it's got to be said, it was pretty close as well. as The Giro, to be honest with you, um, that's how good Flanders was. I thought it was yeah, right, just okay um, that good that yeah. it defeated the Tour de France and the Giro um, as well as those other two races. But, as we mentioned at the the opener, Scotty, there was some incredible racing in the season, so mm. it was hard to just pick one.
0: It was friggin relentless, relentless, <laughs> high quality sport.
1: Now, Scotty, I've got a few other little categories here that I might just roll in. A rider that I'd like to watch out for in 2021. Now, I considered Mark Hershey, but that's sort of of low-hanging fruit in a way because he's already arrived in some sense, but he's going to have a big 2021. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. But I've plumped for Lucas Hamilton from Mitchelton Scott. He won a stage at Torino Adriatico. He was riding well at the Giro, it's got to be said, until Mitchelton Scott had to abandon um, with COVID. And with the trend of young riders starting to come through with results, this bloke, I think, has legitimate claims. Um, he can climb um, with Adam Yates and Jack Haig leaving Mitchell and Scott for 2021. I reckon he might get a chance, whether it's I'm predicting it may not be at a Grand Tour, but some of those week-long stage races, he might. I just reckon he's on the rise.
0: Do you know how many years he signed for?
1: I think he's got an extra two years, and he's only 24.
0: Mm-hmm. You'd have at least two. I'm just wondering if it was three, but if two's enough, like, yeah, based on everything you're saying and then then him looking at all those other kids winning this year, surely he's got to be viewing it like that. It's like, okay, I've got time. I don't have to worry about my contract. That's in place. Yeah. Time is now. And then Matthews is going there and Matthews won't compete with him for the same type of races, but uh, Matthews has a real reputation of being a good leader in terms of a good influence. Uh, I, I know we we discussed whether he wasn't the right fit at uh, Sunweb, but uh, listening to um, the Aussie rider at the Worlds, uh, I've forgotten his name right now, he said he, he's so, so much in praise of Michael Matthews and his professionalism, his commitment and all that. So what I'm trying to say is I reckon that could be a real good influence on Hamilton.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good call. And another thing that could be considered, I just think Esteban Chavez is probably off the pace as a grand to a GC man or yeah. a GC man full stop he hasn't produced for a little while after that big illness injury that he had a couple of years ago. And and I just think, as you said, Scotty, these guys can be buoyed by some of the results by the the young guys this year. And I think Mm. you know, Lucas Hamilton's got the sniff. Um, He sort of Mm. stated that he wouldn't mind writing for some results. So this could be the year in 2021 for Mm. him. Was there anyone else that you consider, mate?
0: No, in short, uh, my attention went to uh, riders who really the ball's in their court and I'm interested to see if they can do something next year, Uh, who have maybe lost a little bit of momentum with this interrupted season. So I'm just thinking about uh, riders who, yeah, it's almost like they need to produce next year and and can they produce? So we've discussed it before, Chris Froome going to a brand new team, he's had a big break. The mojo spell, you know, the mojo momentum has been stopped. So he has to bring up new momentum. Uh, Alia Viviani, what did you have? Yeah. One victory or none? And as Simon Guerin says, and plenty of other people says, who who leaves Quick Step and gets better? And I think the record is nobody. And he came off two big seasons with them. I want to see if Kwiatkowski can do something. We've we, Again, we talked about him. Um, what's he going to do? Is he going to be a domestique? They've got a whole lot of other new recruits there. Maybe that frees him up. Garrett Thomas, what can he do at an, an established uh, age? And Greg Van Avermaet, you know, Rio gold medalist, been a bit of a champion, plus one Paris-Roubaix. He's moving teams to go with Bob Bob Jungles and um, uh, Oliver Nason at AGR, yep. Citroen. Can he win again or is he on the slide? Because I'm not saying that this year is a good year to assess these guys on, but I'm saying that's the way it works. You, you lose your momentum one way or another through an interrupted season or injury or illness and you're an older rider. Sometimes it doesn't come back. So yeah, I'm just one, I'm just interested in all those guys. And even though we love him, we know he's been a champion. Peter Sagan, have a guess how many victories you had this year. Yeah, one. One. Yeah. Now it was a fucking banger. It was a <laughs> banger. Right? But but, mate, he better learn how to do his preseason training again because his preseason training this year was shit yeah. after you had the break. You know, you said, Oh, I don't do the indoor riding. But Pete, what did you fucking do? Because he was shit for his standards. So these are guys who have been very, very, very big performers. And, you know, is the new guard coming through and these guys are just not up for it or can they surge again? That's what, what I'm interested in.
1: What a list of names that you've just reeled off. Like we're talking genuine superstars of world mm. cycling and without wanting to labour the point too much, like that's, that's crossroads. All legitimate mentions I reckon there, Scotty. I reckon that's a really good group mm. of question marks over their the next moves.
0: Mm. And uh, one, two last guys. Alejandro Valverde is forty, I think now. Um, he finished in the top ten at the Volta, which is good. But he, you know, he's not been the rider he was even a, a year and a half ago. So is it, you know, will he do? He's going around again next year. So will he do anything? So that'll be interesting. Definitely, it's uh, it's interesting to see what will happen with those guys.
1: Can Frumi podium at a Grand Tour, Scotty? No. Yeah, geez, it's going to be hard, isn't it? It's going to be bloody hard for him.
0: Mm. I think if he was still at Ineos, there's a chance, provided they are riding for him. But I just think the fact that there's other riders coming up and he's had that big break um, and he's going to a new team. Viviani pointed to that where he felt like they couldn't quite get their lead-out train happening in a way that you tend to need to be able to sprint for victories, right? You know, he might have had not a bit of form and lost a bit of confidence or whatever. But yeah, the shift in teams, it can take a while. So Froome's used to a really well oiled chain, if you like, at, at yeah. Sky in- else, And now he's moving. So I don't think he can. I think he can go top five.
1: What I learnt from 2020, Scotty, is that there's more ways than one to skin a Grand to a cat. In the past, Mm. we've seen the robot-like efficiency of Team Sky and INEOS, but this year we witnessed teams' willingness to put their agates on the line and try and light up the road (laughs) to stake some GC claims, and it was so entertaining. Um, It was refreshing, and it was also acknowledged by Dirty Dave, our boy Dirty Dave, that it could be the way forward Mm. for his team, who, Mm. it's got to be said, were the spearheads of that robot-like train that just kept grinding Away And had the the line, the procession of riders that would just break the hearts of the rest of the peloton really. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out and how that plays out, um, whether we can see any patterns emerging when racing starts next year.
0: Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, maybe with new riders and new new ways and new attitudes, yeah, maybe they're – I don't know. I feel like I'm looking at more riders who want to have, have a real crack and not be as concerned with losing. They just want to see how they want to win. And for younger riders, it's easy to do that, obviously, isn't it? You, you feel like you've essentially got less to lose. Yeah, so um, even Dirty Darth Brailsford, he's considering taking a different philosophy, you know, attacking racing to win. But as we know, that's just bullshit because he won't do that. But I was thinking about Darth Brailsford, with Dirty Dave, and then I was thinking about like him at one end of the spectrum, and then I was thinking of, about the FDJ long-time team manager, DS, Mark Matteo. Now, we put a, a little story on Instagram of Mark Matteo showing him some of his finest work, and I think, Ross... You might have put it up on an Instagram story so it had a temporary shelf life. So I think we've got to move it into a post so people can look at this to see who is this Mark Matteo, right? And if Darth Brailsford, Dirty Dave Darth Brailsford is one one of the continual, which is just relentless, strategic, cold, ruthless, professional, mechanical, and just guaranteed it's a full-court press with him, Mark Matteo is like a fucking bullfighter on acid, He's fucking all over the joint. And then I was watching him and in that footage that you put up, Ross, on the Instagram, and we're gonna we've got to make it a post because people have to see this. In that footage, he is screaming his head off at out of the car at uh, our mate Thibaut Pinot, who's about to win a stage somewhere a race, he's going full chook, right? And then in that moment I thought, that is the worst fucking person for Thibaut Pinot to have because there there is the emotional fragility. <laughs> and instability and uncontrollability. You know what, Pino? He needs to get out of the the comfort zone, the French team. He needs to go and see Dirty Dave and say, Dave, I'll come and ride on minimum contract. Give me a crack because it was like (laughs) the worst combination in the world. For well,
1: that is a good call. And I've actually got a little bit of news in and around that incident. So for those who haven't seen he was hanging out of the window, screaming and screaming in French to Thibaut Pinot. So we've had the translator run over it, the half willing translator that we do have here. And yeah. allegedly... Now, this is sort of, Mm. it's quite broken, but um, it was words to the effect of, that podcast in Australia said that you were mentally fragile. You need to show them, Tibo. you need to show them. I think it probably had an effect in the end. So firstly to Mark, Mm. thanks for the acknowledgement. And Tebow, Mm. our opinions of you haven't changed, mate. You'll always be mentally fragile in a grand tour.
0: Ooh, it's right, and um, if you think we're being harsh, just go to Wikipedia and look at his Grand Tour record. And again, it's a bad combo. Him and I, I said friend of ours uh, Ross uh, Darren Welsh. I said to him, you know, is Pino strategic and the way he gets it done? He goes, you know, I don't know if that's a major part of his play. And then you look at Mark Maddy, who's looked like a looks like a fucking muppet on speed, uh, hanging out the window like an actual muppet, hanging out the window just fucking off his head. And it's like, and then you've got the French race with the French media and you're in a French team and you're French, you're the great French hope, mate, it's a recipe for disaster. So here's Pinot, you know, thinking about ending his life or something like that, you know, and it's like, no, mate, you just need to get out of that. Get out of that and go and go and put yourself in a different team. Go to Star or something like that. I don't know, buddy. Go somewhere. Maybe go and hang out with the bloody North American hippies at EF Education first. Just do something, mate. Get yourself out of there. Yeah.
1: Go somewhere where the team direct and team management can just give you a big hug and just tell you, mate, it's going to be okay, you know. These guys in Australia who run this podcast, they're going to forget about you soon. Well, (laughs) we won't, Timo. We won't. Trust me, we won't.
0: We won't. Until we straighten you up like we straightened up Richie, until we do that, we're going to fucking challenge the whole situation. It's time to come out from mummy's skirt. It's time to venture out into the big world. Leave the nest, Tebow. Leave <laughs> the nest.
1: When we decided on a no. name for this no. podcast, Half and was... Pretty much unanimous in the end. A lot due to the way we like to express ourselves. That sort of half wheel and rider who just really wants to exert some authority and have that uniqueness about them that almost arrogant like in the way they uh, present and their way or the highway type operates. Given that half wheelers taken, so not many people can be half wheelers. Let's be honest. Like we we are mm. the half wheel and federation worldwide. Mm. So I thought we could pick out the biggest three quarter wheeler for the year. Yeah.
0: So three-quarter wheeling being just a total dickhead, is it?
1: Correct. You're bang on there, Scotty. (laughs) This incident combines with my funniest and weirdest moment of the season. Cast your mind back to stage one of the Tour de France, and this incident actually got a mention on this podcast. And with the weather becoming decidedly shit, Jumbo Visma uh, neutralised the stage for a moment. Astana, who you can't trust at all, went to the front and questioned it was happening and said, basically, fuck it, we're riding. Um, and soon after, Miguel Ángela López was uncontrollably skidding towards a street sign on a descent. Mm. Well played, fellas. Uh, remember next mm. time, there's room for half-wheelers, not three-quarter-wheelers.
0: Yeah. And so, like, you could almost say the guy who would have called that, surely, was uh, Vinokurov, who, you know, was a pretty bit of a beast of a competitor, not afraid to use all means necessary to get victories. Yeah, maybe he's the real three quarter wheeler calling the shots. You know, he's the real three quarter wheeler.
1: I give an apology to Alaphilippe also for going too early in the age best on the age on the line and got pipped by Primoz Roglic. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a bit of a clanger too.
0: Yeah, and just one that's come to me, Christian Prudhomme, the director of the Tour de France. Yes, hey, that's a pretty big job, isn't it? You reckon? Like the biggest annual sporting event in the world director, what would he be on, Ross? He'd be on like 50 grand a year, wouldn't he? He'd be on
1: whatever he demanded he'd get.
0: Right. So – We're in early stages of COVID. And then there's a fucking image that gets around. And it's Proudhon hobnobbing with, uh, um, might have been uh, the the French president and his wife and one other, two other, you know, dignitaries. And they're in the super box at the Tour de France. And none of them are wearing a mask. They're telling the crowd to stay away, wear your masks, don't come. We've got the bubbles happening, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. They're not wearing the mask. So it was like straight out of, um, you know, Hunger Games, you know, with the haves and the have nots, the peasants and the people in the gallery. <laughs> and um, so they're not knowing I'm asked. And sure enough, you know, 12 days later, Christian Pudom has to a- abandon DNF. He's got COVID, right? And then what, six days later? No, no, he's back. He's all right. He doesn't have it anymore. He comes back. <laughs> like, come on, mate. Just stop it.
1: A three quarter wheeler it. without even throwing a leg over a bike.
0: That's right. And that is a very bad sign, isn't it? You know, oh, at yeah. least if you're three quarter wheeling, you're actually on the bike. A couple of things from the Volta Ross. Yes. Stage, because it was epic, right? And we haven't really covered much of it, but it was epic. It was fucking good and incredibly hard stages. But stage 17, where um, Hugh Carthy attacked and then they brought him back and then with about two Ks to go. So this is the last stage before the flat stage where, you know, you can't bring back time. Uh, Stage, because there was only 18 stages for the Vuelta this year. Stage 17, two Ks to go. Our mate, Carapaz the killer, attacks. He's 45 seconds. He's got to try and find 45 seconds on Roglic. And Roglic, you know, to his credit, It's not as though he just floated up the bloody mountain like Sep because he he had to dig deep and got ugly a few times in terms of how he was getting it done to get up the mountain, right? And Carapaz goes and Carapaz ends up Pulling back twenty seconds of the forty-five in that attempt, so it doesn't doesn't get them all back. But do you remember there was two movie star riders in those last couple of Ks?
1: I do remember this. Now, one of them was Mark Solaire. Was it Mark Solaire One yeah, of them? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. And the other one was um, what's his name? Uh, Enric Mas, Mas. You know, so yep. he's in like yeah no, number four or five on the GC. So Soler starts pulling, I think, for Mas, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Roglic is on the back of them. Right, So they're pulling Roglic up, like they're sort of helping him in some ways. Now, it didn't really affect Masters' position, but it's like at the same time, they could have let that play out and maybe Carapaz gets more seconds, possibly all of them, and they didn't. And then you know what I thought? Is that Moby Star punishing Carapaz Ah. for leaving them last year? And they got really disappointed. They felt like he owed them something and he left. Do you think it could go to that level?
1: I like the link there, Scotty. You know what? I never even considered that. When I saw that playing out, I thought, oh, sometimes teams just help other teams, you know, and particularly being the race leader, you you sort of do a little bit here or there and you expect it to be paid back at some point. And I didn't even Mm. think of the link between Movistar and Carapaz.
0: Ross, think about in the Movistar team, when we watched the doco, was it this year or last year on Netflix doco, which was a really nicely made doco, I thought, and you had the three there's a couple of ds's, There's three ds's that they cut they had on that, and then there was the the head principal, right? And uh, and then two of the ds's were almost like big hearted guys, they were more emotional. And then there was another d s with a bit of a chiseled face, and he he looked like Robocop, you know his face didn't move when he spoke. I don't think he's um I think maybe the last smile he had was in grade four at primary school and he was he was so he was a hard man. He was hard man. And he was also the guy who was quoted ripping on Carapaz when he left. He said, you know, he should have been loyal. And he also said, we had the money because they were clearing um, Lander and um, someone else. So he goes, the joke's on him. We had the money anyway. So he, he was fucking filthy. Like he really took it personally. And I just wonder if he was fucking screaming down the microphones across both cars. You fucking pull Roglic up, pull that bastard up. I don't care if he doesn't affect us, fucking pull him up. Do not give Carapaz an inch. I'm pretty certain that exactly happened. I think it ex- happened exactly uh, like that.
1: The more I think of it, the more yeah. it you're starting to see the light, aren't you? Yeah, oh, absolutely.
0: One of the things I loved about that doco with what I saw was the culture within that team. And I couldn't help thinking, you know, the essence of Movistar is a Spanish team. You know, it's always been a Spanish team back in the days. And I do have a, a stereotype in my mind that manage to have a, a bit of emotion in their culture as people and how they are. And I, one of the things I loved in that doco was how open they were with their emotions and feelings. And the DS is getting up in the bus and being really open-hearted and, you know, almost crying. And, you know, yeah. I love you guys. I think you guys have been amazing. Thank you for all your efforts. And what I did, I'm sure, sorry I made that mistake tactically the other day. It was a bad mistake. Please believe me, I would never do that out of carelessness. You know, really, really open compared to sort of Dirty Darth Brailsford's culture which is you know more all along the robo cop shit and then you've got this hard ass guy whose face doesn't move he's like he's had botox in fact it's like he's had a bad dose of botox and it's affected his brain too and he's just become this east german stasi member who's a fucking plant inside the spanish team uh,
1: in fact scotty i could think of him probably pulling out a line from ivan drago in rocky when yeah. he, if he dies yes, yes. he dies
0: You know what? Look, if you look up the 80s movie Robocop and see his face underneath the mask and then you get a look at Ivan Drago, absolutely, that is this DS. So I don't know. Fuck, he must be able to make some good tactical moves because I don't know if he'd have any friends on the team. Something that was brought up by one of our listeners, Ross. One of our listeners is here near me in Melbourne, and I, I ride with him and bump into him occasionally. His name's Andy Feeney. So, hello to Andy if he's listening. He's a big Cool and goal fan, but he was, um, he's also a bit of a climber. Like, he's got pretty good endurance. He's uh, this guy, Andy. He's about six foot four and about 79 kilos. So, he's tall and, you know, lean and got good levers. So, if you think about Ryder right Hedgedal, who won the Giro, and then also maybe if you think about A bit like, you know, Hugh Carthy as well. Not more athletic than Hugh Carthy in his appearance, but same Hugh Carthy, six foot four tall. And he wanted to know, Ross, he asked me a question. He goes, bring this up, can you please? He wanted to know where the hell does Hugh Carthy's power come from? He's got no muscles on his skeleton and he had a great time trial and he goes up the climbs. So what are your thoughts there? In all seriousness, Ross, like what's your read on him? Where does the power come? Because that guy can climb and he's six foot four.
1: Can he ever? Um, Gee, he was impressive on the uh, Angleroo. That Mm. was a brutal, Mm. brutal climb. Um, And he looked (laughs) at home, didn't he? He just looked so at home as the road got steeper. Where yeah. does his power come from? I don't know. Uh, you're right. He's yeah. skinny. There was an aerial shot at one point from the chopper on that climb, and you could almost not see him. He was that skinny. like There was nothing of him. Mm. Um, he pulled some of the best faces that you'll ever want to see on a guy um, <laughs> climbing up an incline. It, it made it look that much steeper, just the faces he was pulling. But yeah. when you talk about, as we did earlier, guys that could have an impact in 2021, Hugh Carthy's going to be the yeah. GC man, I think, for Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a huge talent and a really likeable fella. If you ever get a chance, listeners, have a little squeeze at Life in the Peloton. Uh, he does an interview with his teammate, Mitch Docker, uh, a really easygoing, real sort of typical English lad who, um, yeah, just yeah, loves riding his bike. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. He was, um, I listened to that interview too, Ross, and... um I've got to say, yeah, really impressed, really impressed by Hugh Carthy. This is the way he is. Just no fuss, no bullshit, clear, just get on with it. He almost looks like Lurch from the Addams Family, doesn't he, when he's standing up there in the profile shots? It's like, not, not his face, although his face has a bit of that too. Just the big, tall, the square shoulders, the weird posture, you know, and yet cranks it out on the bike, no worries.
1: So for those cricket fans, Lancashire is where Andy Flintoff hails from. And if you can picture Andy Flintoff or if you put in your mind how Andy Flintoff talks in an interview, that's how Hugh Carthy is. Like really almost hard to understand to a point, but it really comes through how much of a good feller he must be. And Mitch Docker actually pointed out that. To work for him as a leader was quite easy because he just says, This is what we're going to do today, and this is how it's going to play yeah. out. Must be so reassuring if you're doing the work for this bloke that he appreciates what you're doing, and he's so easy to work for.
0: Yeah. And as you're listening to him, uh, Mitch is asking those questions. Mitch Docker is interviewing Hugh Carthy, and Hugh Carthy just comes out every time, just goes bang, bang. Like he's clear, he's concise, and he's decisive. So obviously, you know that can have a flip side as well, but um, a dark side. But mate, exactly. As a team leader, you just like he'd be. Like, yep, I want you to ride now, and and you know he's going to go deep to stay on the wheel too. So yeah, I reckon that'd be a great guy to work for. To be honest,
1: yeah, no, nah, big fan, big fan, Scotty. I'm looking forward to watching how his season goes next year. You had a listener query, um, which was great from Andy. I've got one from Jared. Mm, Yes. Now, this question comes. Jared's um, a bit of a newbie on the bike, but making some inroads. So he's asked the question, with your vast experience on two wheels, can you share some of your top bunch ride etiquette tips for a green newcomer? Now, I've come up with three, um, three that I've sort of prioritised. They aren't in any particular order, but I've thought they've jumped out at me. So I'm going to kick it off with one and then we'll take it in turns here, Scotty. Now, the first one I've gone for is be a reliable wheel to follow. No surprises for the rider behind you, i.e. calling out potholes, speed and steering consistent. That's Mm. one thing that I think is a really, really good baseline to have.
0: Mm -hmm. And if I was coaching that and cueing that, Ross, I would just say, you know, ride smoothly, you know, um, keep it smooth, Ride smooth, you know what I mean. Like yeah. there's your speed, there's just direction and your angles, and of course you got to notify people of stuff that might be coming up again yeah. to keep the ride and the momentum of the ride, the bunch smooth.
1: Number two would be direct your snot rockets accurately. <laughs> no one wants Ross. to ride with one of those pricks who just fuck you, particularly in the pandemic that we're in at the minute. Not very complimentary to get someone snot all over you.
0: You know what? Um, I could be that guy. That perpetrator, not because I'm not. Scotty, this is
1: no, surely not.
0: Yeah, I think Raffa has started to sell little straws that you put in your nostrils, cycling (laughs) straws. They're only about $249.99 euro, but you just put them in your nostrils and it directs the snot rocket. And then they're made out of carbon, you can attach them to your bike frame after. But anyway, it's not that I'm not considerate of others around me or the direction of the snot rocket, it's just that I'm one of those guys that. The fucking floodgates open and it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. So perhaps just by sheer weight of numbers, the odds are that someone's going to cop it at some point through no fault of my own, through no fault of my own, Ross.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you just let it absolutely rip. And then the belated, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, I did I, did I get you? Oh, so, sorry, sorry about that.
0: That's right. You've just let yourself off the hook beautifully. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. All right. And now I'm just going to put the foot down a bit more.
1: Yeah. yeah dig the knife in. My third one is provide <laughs> ample banter and always, always look for some one-upmanship at every opportunity, be it verbally or visually. So, you know, you might mm. just give them the fucking desk stare or if it can be done verbally, I uh, recommend that because mm. that always has some really good effect in the bunch.
0: Mm. Yeah. And there's always a chance that you might do that and someone, you you don't know their ability or they're having a better day than you. And so all of a sudden it can be egg on your face. So in that case, because you've either got to go full commitment and sledge hard or or do whatever you've got to do, one-upmanship hard with the understanding that you might be shown up, so therefore you've got to have your second strategy, your follow-up strategy later on, so you can still – so you never, ever lose face. Or if you do sink the boots in early, you've just got to make sure that that person never gets an opportunity to um, equalise it ever, ever, ever. Yeah.
1: No, good call. Because at the end of the day, you can't do it physically because you won't be invited back to the bunch. So it's got to be verbally, preferably – What I mean by visually is if you can get into a situation where you've targeted someone, you're riding, just about to ride up a climb, and you just ride alongside, look at them, and with your eyes, just say, you're a soft cock, and then go.
0: Um, That's sort of what I'm angling at
1: with that visual intimidation.
0: Yeah, Yeah, or you might go, is that wheel always like that?
1: (laughs) 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 oh that's the equivalent of calling someone who you know on the footy field you know their name but you call them by their number
0: oh yeah 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 Yeah. just a little thumb on the forehead in place you stay in place stay in place there
1: (laughs) so there you are hopefully Uh, that helps you at some point
0: yeah yeah no i mean there's so many little bits and pieces in there you know it's as you go into more and more advanced bunches, there's, it's very easy to commit faux pas that no one ever tells you about, and you can't know until you hear about it after. We're recording here on a Sunday afternoon, and you've had two good days of uh, riding yep. on uh, Saturday morning and uh, Sunday morning. So tell us a little bit about that. I'm interested.
1: So Saturday morning, we've had our normal bunch ride. Uh. Legs are feeling pretty good, it's got to be said. And we got to our usual climb. So our usual climb early in the day, it's a climb that's 2K long and it goes at about an average of about 6%. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cosy, um, but mm. it's one that we always sort of like to stretch the legs on. And I got a PB on that on Saturday, Scotty. So I was, I was really happy mm. with that. That was something that uh, I'd spoken to you about trying to get myself to a point where I was able to uh, to be up the road a little bit so that was uh, encouraging got the right wheel to follow thanks Reese Lister and yeah managed to stay in contact and get to the end so that was uh, that was a bit of a highlight and today being Sunday as you mentioned um, we did a ride up Buffalo which was awesome. Probably my favourite climb, uh, as it is quite a lot of other people. Uh, it was a beautiful day for climbing.
0: Ross, for our international listeners, when you say buffalo, what is that? Where is that?
1: Okay, so Mount Buffalo is in the Victorian high country. Mount Buffalo is an 18-kilometre climb that roughly sits at around 5.5% average for the duration. So, yeah, managed to get a PB by about... Four minutes, um, which was good, which was really happy with. Yeah, pretty happy with with how the climbing's going at the moment. Scotty managed to latch onto a bit of a cadence that um, I can work with in a good frame of mind, and having a new bike under me is sort of all culminated in things coming together.
0: Yeah, because I was going to ask you what you attribute those performances to. Is it something more immediate on the day, the night before, or is it just a been a you know, steady build-up? Or sounds like there's a few things that have sort of come together.
1: Yeah, look, there probably has, but if I was to pick one, I would mm. think the one that probably overrides a lot of them is that mindset, which we do speak a lot about here, and I think the conversations that we've had both on-air and off-air have helped. Just to get you thinking that, If something's not feeling 100% at any point, well, it's just for that point in time and and try and get yourself to a point mentally where you can change it around and um, be comfortable and accept what it is and and just enjoy what you're doing at that moment in time. So being present is something we speak about a lot. Um, And that's Mm. been quite easy to get to that point, really. And it's been Mm. enjoyable. That's good, mate.
0: Good. Now, there's one other thing, mate, that I wanted to check out with you because- think there could be an opportunity for some improvement and I think this is an easy win for you. Is it okay if I bring that up with you? Absolutely. Well, you and I have been discussing not only about this sort of stuff that you mentioned, but also fueling on the bike. Yes. Right. And so, you know, I've been sort of just throwing around some ideas and and some of the uh, more recent sports science is sort of saying, depending on how heavy you are, how big you are, anywhere from like 80 to 120 or 110 grams of carbohydrate an hour. If you want to ride fa- if you need to ride fast, and especially if you need to ride long, and especially if you need to ride multiple days. Now, of course, you can get away with right eating nothing, for instance, in a two-hour ride, and you can dig deep. But keeping yourself topped up is an interesting thing. So, you know, you've been sort of coming back to me and going, "Yeah, I'm eating a bit, but maybe I can eat a bit more." But sometimes I don't feel like I even need to. What do you tend to do with your eating, and and uh, where you're at with it?
1: yeah it's interesting Scotty because I have been playing around with it on the back of our conversations and as you said a lot of my rides are two hours which um, a lot of blokes can get through without eating and largely you can quite comfortably but I've just been trying to as most of the blokes who ride with me will attest to have a sandwich so just to keep a little bit sustained, which does help, I reckon, because I'm not a big gel man, so they mm. tend to upset mm. my guts, which I've spoken to you about, and I just fucking can't have them. So I've now also added to the repertoire a carb drink as well, just to complement mm-hmm. that sandwich mm. or you know whatever it may be that, that I choose to eat on any given day. So certainly noticing the difference and enjoying sort of playing around with it and seeing what works. Sandwiches are good if you can stop, which, you know, there's obviously a few little breaks here or there on a ride, but not ideal if you need mm. to be reaching in to have a sandwich um, while you're riding along at 35 <laughs> plus k's an hour. But, yeah, bring out the chopping, yeah. bring out the
0: chopping board and cut it up into quarters.
1: Yeah, and I do get a fair bit of
0: shit hung on me for that.
1: But yeah, it certainly has some merit, Scotty. Um, and I've found a, a bit of an improvement in that department.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause um, yeah, I mean, I've been sort of pushing it and from a sports science point of view that, that the latest sort of research is saying that we can tolerate more carbohydrate per hour than previously thought possible. Like when I say tolerate, not only your gut tolerating it, but being able to absorb it. And um, some of the cutting edges, are people who are doing this is like, they're almost taking around hundred to 120 grams a, an hour, which equates to say three medium sized bananas decent sized bananas you think about eating three bananas in an hour you think god you know the practical realities of doing that but also god you know could I take that and it's trainable like a lot of things it's trainable but also think about how topped up you'd feel so I'm, I'm starting to play with it too but the thing is it's worth playing with because once you get something that works it's such a it's an easy it's a gimme you know what I mean it's something that you don't have to do much to get a lot back from
1: absolute game changer i reckon and yeah for such a little thing to have a big impact it's Mm. incredible really
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, habits reign supreme in eating, whether we're eating at home, in the house, at a restaurant, or on the bike, but it's certainly worth it. And keeping your mood up and your your focus, and even if you're not riding fast but you're riding long, you know, you might do long rides, I just get the feeling some riders um, underestimate that and maybe don't eat enough and they could be doing it easier and they could be putting out more powerful efforts when they need them by staying, you know, topped up with the glycogen, you know, that's the muscle fuel. So, yeah, Yeah, something to be aware of for
1: people. If you were to look at a two-hour ride where you might go hard and you think, well, at the end of it you think, oh, I'm buggered just because it was a solid ride. But once you start to play around with your nutrition a little bit, you tend to be fresher and, like you said, your Mm. mood changes a little bit, which in turn helps you enjoy the ride a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, just little things that can help. Look, it might take a little while to get the best mix of what might be workable and both from a time and ability point of view to be able to consume it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, certainly it worth bit. it. And while we're on this, Ross, I, I sort of have a, a little bit of a concern because Half Wheeling does have its own um, internal affairs department as well. Now, you weren't aware of this, but I did set up this department and they have actually observed you in your, in your breakfast habits, you know, before your rides. They've witnessed you. You know, the muesli and the fruit, tick, tick, we love it. And then the yogurt, Ross. Yep. Now, I I just need to check with you, you know, what sort of yogurt are you having with the fruit and muesli before you ride? Okay,
1: so having um, two tablespoons of Chobani plain yogurt, Scotty.
0: Right. So is that our dairy yogurt, is it? It is. It is. Yeah. Right. Is, that, is okay. this sponsored? I probably should have. Um,
1: yeah, waited for the money to roll in from Chibani before I gave him a mention.
0: Probably, probably should have. You just gave him that chop out nicely. Uh, but let's Ross. Don't distract us from the real issue here. <laughs> the real issue here is that you have been witnessed multiple times consuming dairy before you get out on the bike in a massive aerobic sport. You know, there's real concerns here the real concerns about the impact on the community and your bunch ride, that, you know, while you have been riding off the front, your bunch has reported back to me through our internal affairs division that they're letting you ride off the front. And while you think you are being heroic and incredibly strong riding off the front and you're getting TV time, do you know, mate, they're ostracizing you. They are ostracizing you because they think it's ridiculous that you are having dairy before riding in a breathing aerobic sport with a mucus potential. You know, I know, you grow, I know you've grown up in the, a land of milk and honey there, you know, God's country. God's country. But you're not fooling anyone, Ross. You, you think you're getting off the front? They're letting you dangle at 20 seconds for two hours. You have to have a hard look at yourself. And look, I'm sorry to be the messenger on this, but I'm just reporting what internal affairs have come back to me with
1: well, so, all I'll say is, I'm all i say yeah, is, yeah, yeah. What,
0: what will you say? What will you say
1: if you have spoken to anyone, anyone that I have links with in a bunch? I'll yeah. say that you think you know someone, and then they just go and stab you in the back, like you know, stab me, right. you know, get me from the front. Fair enough, you know, in the belly, not the back, as the as the All Blacks would say. Gee whiz, this is this is rock me, and That's I'm right. not going to stop until I find out. Who was who was leaking this sort of information, Scotty?
0: Well, I, I want to know, Ross. Will you say? Will you say it here and now to the people, our people, your people, our community? Will you say, "I've made a bad, a, a, a terrible error of judgment"? Will you declare that here and now?
1: Well, it depends. If Chibani are going to come to the party with some sort of sponsorship and uh, maybe give me some money, if if they don't, well. Maybe then I'll start to retreat a little bit, but until then you just so want to you're shovel saying, that into your free pre
0: ride. So you're saying if Chibani come to you with a couple of six packs of yogurt and two hundred and fifty bucks cash, you're prepared to be out the ass in the bunch ride because you have got phlegm coming out your eyeballs. That, is that I'll, what you're saying? You're I'll tell you a, what I'll do. Is that what you're saying?
1: I'll tell you what I'll what? do. I'll put a Oil spoon what? I'll put a spoon in one of my jersey pockets. I'll put A packet of Chobani in one of the other ones and I'll get at the back of the bunch and I will eat that yogurt with a spoon. How does that sound?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, if you can ride up that climb, you know, no hands uh, while you're eating a Chobani, you know, I I think you deserve to be out. In fact, you can then draft off the Chobani truck, the whole two-hour bunch ride. I'm happy with that. But other than that, mate, all bets are off. Look, I think um, you've not only let down half-wheeling, you've not only let down your, your bunch that you ride with, but but worst of all, Ross, you've let yourself down. Oh, now, really, just have a, have a think about it. Have a, have a think about this this idea of dairy, okay? Just have a think. I just wow. want you to have a think about it, Ross.
1: Well, <laughs> it, this sounds very much like the, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed speech that I'd usually get, Scott. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is, um, yeah, with a lot more hardness, this is how Patrick Lefebvre sounded eyeball to eyeball with... um. David Ballerini at the Italian champs when he fucked up that last sprint. So <laughs> you know, just really have a think about it and um yeah, I'll let you make the decision.
1: I'll be in the process of reassessing things. Um and, and I'll get back to the half will and faithful about um, what the outcome is.
0: Just know, Ross, that the Half Wheel and Internal Affairs Division, they're very well trained, they're relentless, they're well paid, so they're motivated. And um, you know, there'll always be eyes on you, my friend. Look, sorry to leave us in a sort of a bit of a downtone, but, you know, in the name of half will and spirit, you know, we can't have, you know, one rogue element just bring this whole house down. Well, we I'm not letting this turn into a house of cards, my friend. Yeah. All right? Well, we we so did just mention three-quarter wheelers, and I don't us. want to be
1: known as one of them. I don't want to be known as a nah, three-quarter wheeler. that's right. Wheel and
0: I'm... you're starting to edge out from half will. <laughs> you're starting to edge towards, you know, just <laughs> – just, just have a think about it, mate. All wow. in the name of dairy, just have a think about it. Well, we're about to
1: wrap up, so I'm going straight to the bathroom and just go and have a look in the mirror, okay? is that? Yep. If that's okay yep. with everyone, it's going to be a real soul-searching evening tonight.
0: <laughs> I think it's fair. I think it's fair. And, um, Ross, um, by me bringing this up in, in trust, um, know that I will not accept any type of retaliation or retribution or uh, co-challenging back from you. That will not happen. So just just know that right from the outset.
1: Oh yeah, no, nah, no, nah, Scotty, I got your back, mate. Yeah, no, nah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I got your back. Yeah.
0: Great, that's what I expect.